So if you could open a Bible to Romans chapter 6, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 11 together today. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can either look at it on your phone, you can Google it, or just listen to these words that I'm going to read to us now. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who are dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptised into Jesus were baptised into his death. Through baptism, we are therefore buried with him into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anybody who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives... He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Church, this is the word of the Lord. So last week we looked at baptism in our teaching series on um, the sacraments. Today is baptism part two. And just so you know where we're going, next week we're going to be looking at communion together. The sermon series that we're in is called, we're called, uh, we've called it Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sight. Um, Of course, taken from the um, line of that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Um, We often hear the gospel proclaimed. In the sacraments, in baptism and communion, we see the gospel enacted out in front of us. A sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality. So just in case you've not been here over the past couple of weeks, just to sum up very briefly where we've come from. Two weeks ago, Brogan looked at Colossians 1 and how Jesus is the image of an invisible God. In other words, Jesus is the first sacramental principle. Jesus makes the invisible God visible to us, Paul says. Christians have always taught that if you want to know what God is like, you look at the person of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer, who was a fantastic Anglican theologian and thinker, um, one of the best theologians I think of the past century, he wrote this, as the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible, so the sacraments make the gospel visible. (coughs) Now, last week, we looked at part one of baptism, and we looked specifically at Jesus's baptism. Jesus came to be baptised. It wasn't a public affirmation of faith. It wasn't a repentance of sin. Clearly, Jesus had. Um, Jesus didn't need to, do, need to do either of those things. And so we looked at what was going on at Jesus's baptism. 
And we saw that as Jesus came to be baptised, he was affirmed by his Father in heaven before he started his public ministry. And the same is true for us. Before we do anything, for those of us that are in Christ, the Father speaks over us, over Pippa today. Pippa, you are my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Nowhere else in the world do you get a sense of affirmation before performance. This is unique to Christianity. Secondly, we saw the beauty of relationships. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they've, those three persons that make up the one true God have been loving each other and adoring each other for all of time. And we're caught up in those relationships. Pippa's been caught up in those relationships. And we also see the promises of God in baptism, that he will never let us go, that we can stand on the truth of his word and hold it out when we believe lies about ourselves and say, it is written that I am forgiven. It is written that I am loved. Today, we're looking at these verses from Romans and we're going to see a a few things. Because of the AGM, I'm going to preach for a slightly shorter time um, today, but there's, there's still loads of stuff for us to think about in Romans 6. Um, today we're going to see through these verses in Romans 6 that baptism is a little bit like a funeral, a birthday and a wedding all rolled into one. And it helps us see, baptism helps us see the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So firstly, baptism is a little bit like a funeral. Look at verse 3 with me. Paul says that if you've been baptised, baptised into Christ Jesus, you've been baptised into his death. Now, Paul uses this very strange language in Romans 6 to talk about, to talk about baptism. We've been baptised into death. Specifically, we've been baptised into Jesus' death. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, you may think, well, this, this is a bit of an odd illustration for the Bible to use about baptism. Being baptised into death. What the chuff is all that about? Seems a bit gory, a bit strange. It's actually very good news. And it's very good news because it points us to Jesus' cross and all that he achieved in dying for us on the cross. Last week, as we were looking at Jesus' baptism, we thought about how Jesus' baptism was symbolic, was a picture of what he came to achieve on the cross and in his resurrection. It was a picture that he, uh, his baptism was a picture of him pointing to his death, that he would take on all of the sin of those whom he died for. He'd take on all of the sin of those who would believe and trust in him, um, including Pippa, of course, uh, today. All of us that have been baptised, And being baptised into Jesus' death means this, that all of the wrong in our life, our pain, the stuff that we get wrong, our hurts, our failures, all of that stuff, Jesus absorbs on the cross so that we don't have to carry it anymore. In other words, baptism is an enactment, an application of the power of the cross in our lives. Look at what Paul says in verse 6, just a few verses after verse 3. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So it might be an odd picture, you might think, for the Bible to use to talk about baptism. But it points 
to the freedom that Jesus won on the cross for us. We've been baptised into that and the effects of Jesus' work on the cross are applied to us. For those of us thinking about sacraments, for those of us that are living 2,000 years after the event of the cross, how do we see the beauty of the cross? We see it in the waters of baptism. It helps us see the gospel. Secondly, baptism is a little bit like a birthday. Now, in order to help us illustrate this point, we have a number of birthdays in the house today. Um, If it's been your birthday in the last 48 hours, can you just raise a hand? Phil Harding, Ellie Latham, and James Brown. Um, I would love it. I've got cards for you all. I was prepared. I would love it if we could sing happy birthday to Phil, Ellie, and James, just as a church family. Happy birthday to you. So these guys are celebrating their birthday as in the day that they were born physically in the world. Um, The Bible actually uses language about being saved that goes like this. It's like being born again. Paul puts it here that when we're saved, when the effects of the cross and Jesus' resurrection are applied to us, when God chooses to rescue us, it's like we get a new life. And therefore, baptism is a little bit like a birthday. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might have a new life. For all of us that believe and trust in Jesus, we're not living the same life that we were before. We've been given a new life. These verses, by the way, that I just read to us from Romans 6, verse 4, these are the, these are the verses that we've had carved in gold around our new um, baptistry, our new font at St. Thomas's. It's now been finished and it looks absolutely stunning. I can't, cannot wait for you all to see it. Paul is saying that just as we've died with Jesus, because of his resurrection, we too are born again and get new life. This new life that baptism incorporates us into is incredible. In verse 8, Paul says that because of this, we live with Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. In verse 9, Paul says that because of this, death has no mastery over us at all. In other words, death has lost its sting. The famous evangelist Billy Graham used to say, he died a few years ago now, but he used to say, one day you will read that I've died. Do not believe it, for I will be more alive than I've ever been before. Death has lost its sting because of this new life. And verses 10 and 11, because Jesus is alive, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill, a fantastic Yorkshire preacher, used to say this, there are only two types of people in the world, those who are dead in their sin and those who are dead to their sin. The only way that we can get there is by believing 
and trusting in God. Now, church, this means this, that we get to share the same resurrection life that Jesus has. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Now, that should change the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we approach our jobs, the way we approach our friendships, our marriages, um, our children. It should change everything about the way that we live. Baptism is a little bit like a birthday. Now, thirdly, baptism is a little bit like a wedding. Baptism is a little bit like a wedding because, look at verse 5, we have been united with Jesus. Now, this is wonderful news for two reasons. If we have been united with Jesus, he cannot, he cannot let us go. Jesus said in John's Gospel a a number of wonderful things. I think two of the most amazing things that Jesus has ever said, at least I find them amazing, are this. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Pippa, you will never be cast out by God. In um, John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30, Jesus said this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We often sing in that song, don't we? Um, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And it's true. If you're worried about whether you really are saved or not, if God really does love you or not. The promise here is that if Jesus has got hold of you, he will never let you go. And in a world that's full of relationships that are broken and complicated and people let us down, how reassuring is it to know that God has got hold of us and he literally cannot let us go? One theological reason for this, other than Jesus said it, and so so it must be true, but one theological reason that I, um, I, I came across this a number of years, years ago now, and I just found this mind-blowing. Last week, we were thinking about baptism and how, you know, through baptism, we're somehow caught up in the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were thinking about those relationships that, last week. Paul says that we are in Christ. Now, if we are in Christ and Jesus cannot let us go, It is no more possible for us to lose our salvation than it is for Jesus to be dislodged from the Trinity. Which is impossible. If Jesus was somehow, it's just just impossible in every way, but if Jesus was to somehow be dislodged from the Trinity, then we too would be. But because Jesus can't be, we are safe forever in Jesus. Our salvation is complete, it's secure, it will go on and on and it lasts forever and we can be confident in that truth. Secondly, we're united as a family. So today, I don't want to push the wedding analogy too far, all these things break down at some point. Today, Pippa and I, Pippa and all of you, have been united together forever. Pippa gets a new 
family. For all of us that put, believe and trust in Jesus, we get a new family and it's called the church and it is the most wonderful and beautiful thing as well as sometimes being frustrating and difficult and challenging. It's also amazing. We're united with Jesus and we're united into a new family. So what do we see in baptism? We see that baptism is a little bit like a birthday, a wedding and a funeral all rolled into one. And that means that it's the strangest party, but also the craziest and most amazing party that has ever been. Baptising people is literally my most favourite thing to do. Um, I've been writing a few essays recently for, um, for a course that I'm doing, and um, Amara, my goddaughter, who, who is here today, asked if she could be set an essay because she wanted to join in. And so um, on Friday, I set her two essays to write. The first is, what is a bishop? And the second was, what is the Bible? And um, I'll just read... She won't mind me doing this. I'll just read them. Um, I'll read these essays to, to you. I'll, I'll tell you the grade as well because um, she did ask me to mark them in the way that our, my essays get marked. Um, right, where did I put these things? Brogan, was it you I sent them to? Yeah. I thought I needed a second theological opinion. Okay. <laughs> what is a bishop? A bishop is someone who baptises someone and teaches people about God. Baptises spelled bap and then ties is two different words. <clears throat> I didn't mark her down for that. A bishop teaches somebody about Jesus and helps them to understand the Trinity, spelled C-H-R-I-N-N-I-T-Y. Isn't that cute? Trinity. A bishop leads, a bishop leads the church. About saving me. Now she did ask for some feedback, so I gave her one of those hundred emojis. I literally use the same essay format as my as we get, so you know, comments down the side on Google Docs. I wrote Amara, well done. This is a profound piece of writing. And on her that was about the bishop. It, it, very good. And then on the Bible, I wrote, well done. Not many people remember that the whole Bible, including the Old Testament, is about Jesus. This, ref this work reflects the Anglican tradition that you have inherited, particularly the 39, articles about uh, the 39 articles and Article 12 about Scripture. Well done, Amara. <laughs> um, Now, the reality um, is this, that um, all of these things are difficult for us to comprehend sometimes. Now, Amara, age seven, has done a wonderful job at, co at comprehending them. She's a future theologian of the church. But we don't always get to see them. In baptism, we get to see all of these things, the life of the Trinity, the grace of God, God's salvation, they're all applied to us. Now, what are the implications for this, for this amazing news in our discipleship? Now, different churches teach different things about baptism. And that's kind of okay. You know, we churches believe different things about all, all kinds of things. Um, what are the implications for us, though, in our context, as we teach the faith that we've received? Um, I'm just going to run through, through a, f a few quickly that should ho help, hopefully help us think through some of this more um, in a deeper way. Firstly, 
Baptism is the way in to discipleship. Jesus teaches that baptism is the first step of discipleship. It's not step two, it's not step eight, it's not step 12. It is the first thing that you do as a disciple of Jesus. It is not something that you do once you know enough, once you've done a theology course, once you've you've read enough of the Bible, once you've prayed enough. Baptism is the first thing that you do. At the end of all the Gospels, Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world, teaching people to obey all the things that I've taught you, and make disciples of all nations by baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You become a disciple through baptism. Now, secondly, the implications of that for us as we follow Jesus is this, that baptism is a fantastic picture of the gospel. As well as all the things that we've been thinking about today, enacting the effects of the cross in our own life, baptism is so wonderful because it's the, there's two sacraments that we're thinking about in this series, baptism and communion. In communion, you take an active role, you take and eat the bread. In baptism, you're effect, the person being baptised is effectively passive. I don't mean passive as in they're doing absolutely nothing, but they, you, know, you cannot baptise yourself. It has to be something that is done to you. Now, the reason that this is such a wonderful picture of the gospel is this. It demonstrates that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. As we often say here, we have nothing to contribute to our salvation except for the sin that made it necessary in the first place. Now, the reason that this is such good news is this. The Christian life is not about, as we were thinking last week, it's not about trying harder and harder and harder and harder. We cannot, there's nothing that we could do, as we were thinking about last week, that would make God love us any more or any less. In fact, when you hear people say, you know, religion is just about trying harder to follow God, that is the antithesis of the gospel. There is nothing that we could do in order to save ourselves. The good news is this, that God looked at us and loved us so much, John 3.16, that he gave his son so that we might not die, but have eternal life. It's a free gift. We don't work in order to earn God's love. We work from a place of knowing that we're loved. And that changes everything, as we were thinking about last week. It means we don't have to be stressed about knowing whether we're pleasing God or not. It means that we don't have to somehow, you know, get caught in the hamster wheel of trying harder and harder and harder and harder and always failing and then slipping off it. No, God has done everything. Baptism is a beautiful picture of the gospel. To illustrate very quickly, has anybody got a £10, £5 note or any kind of bank note? Brogan's reaching for his wallet. Oh, thank you, Ian. You might get this back. <laughs> Here, I have a very, well, it's relatively crisp, £10 note. Now, um, this has got a, a picture of Her Majesty the Queen on. Um, Your Majesty, if you are watching, she's my boss after all, you know. Um, if you are watching, I do apologise for what is about to happen, but it helps propagate the gospel, which I know you're very passionate about. Okay, now we've got that over. Here we've got a very crisp £10 note. This is worth £10. Now, in life, all of the time, stuff happens to us. We get stuff wrong, we get hurt, we get... Sometimes people do stuff to us that isn't very nice, we believe lies about ourselves. All kinds of things that we do, which means that we get a little bit crinkled and a little bit, you know, 
we'd start to doubt our own self our self-worth, all of this kind of stuff. And we get marked by all of these things. But at the end of the, just like I've been folding up this £10 note, at the end of the day, no matter how many times I fold this or try and destroy this, because of the person whose who's picture is on this and the fact that it's worth what it's worth and it's stated as, a le- as legal tender, whatever happens to it, sorry Ian, it is always worth £10. Nothing can change that. For those of us, thank you, Ian. For those of us that have been baptized into Jesus, for those of us that know and trust Jesus, the same is true for us. Whatever life throws at us, whatever happens to us, Jesus says, You're still worth what I say you're worth. Thirdly, baptism is a one time event. So communion, you'll know that we take regularly. And we're commanded to take it regularly by Jesus. Baptism, however, is a one-off. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. You can't be incorporated into the life of Jesus more more than once because he cannot let you go. Now, we all have moments where we get things wrong, um, but it's not like whenever you've done something wrong or you've done a major thing wrong, you somehow need to be baptised again because the effects and promises of God are secure and they last forever. Baptism is a one-off. Baptism is the way in. You can only come in once. Communion is the way on. Fourthly, baptism is about the whole family. The whole family. One of the strongest images in baptism in the Bible is God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. Moses led his people that were trapped in slavery and in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea so that they might know they were on the journey to the Promised Land. And as they did that, all of their enemies and their fears were washed away behind them in the Red Sea. So it's a picture of baptism. Baptism isn't just a New Testament idea. The baptism's been around in God's mind forever. Now, the whole family were taken on that journey. Children were not left behind. The whole family were taken on the journey um, to the Promised Land. In 1 Corinthians 10... Paul talks about all of, God's be- all of God's people being baptised in that moment. 1 Corinthians 10 is Paul writing about historic events that have happened in God's people's history. And he talks about the whole family of God going through the waters of the Red Sea. Children were not left behind. In fact, for Paul, I don't think Paul could have, could have had anything else in his mind as he was writing this. It would have been very misleading language otherwise. The other reason that baptism is about the whole family of God is that children have always been part of the Old Testament church. They always receive covenantal signs, covenantal promises. And the church, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, became more inclusive, not more exclusive. Now, Jews and Greeks were able to be part of it. And so it would be, in my mind, rather silly to think that because the church has suddenly become more inclusive and, you know, Pentecost, all of these people from all over the world hearing the language of God through all, you know, in their, in their own tongue, that somehow children would now be excluded from covenant promises and from being people and from being in the family of God. There's lo- I could talk about this for ages because I did a mas- master's on it, so I will stop after this last point, which is this. On the day of Pentecost... Pete, which is a Jewish festival, 
Peter is preaching to a crowd about Jesus. And it's in Acts chapter 2. You can go away and read it later. And somebody interrupts Peter as he's talking, says, Peter, what must we do in order to be saved? And Peter responds and says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, and you will be saved. This is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Now, Peter's talking to a Jewish context where all they've known is that God attaches covenant signs to covenant promises and everybody gets to, everyone gets to play their part in it. Now, Ellie and I are there on the, original, on, on the day of Pentecost and we have kids. Are we going to turn to each other and say, we're off in. Kids, you stay here. This isn't for you yet. Baptism is about the whole family of God. Fifthly, this has profound implications for us as a church community and society and all of these things that we've been thinking about today. If baptism really is about family, it really is about being incorporated into the life of God, then baptism helps us see that church is the most radical, amazing community that has ever been thought of by the human mind. You are not denied, no one is denied baptism, for example, because of how little they know or how much they know. No one is denied baptism because of the part of the world that they come from. No one is denied baptism because they are too old. No one is denied baptism because they don't have the right theological education. No one is denied baptism because they come from a war zone. No one is denied baptism because of the political party that they vote for or the football team that they support. No one is denied baptism whether they voted for Brexit or Remain. Baptism unites us all as the family of God. And this means that the, the church is the most radically inclusive and wonderful community that has ever been thought of. In churches all over the world today, in every nation of the planet, there are people gathering together from different backgrounds, different walks of life to worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And it doesn't matter how much money they've got in their bank account or how little money they've got in their bank account. It doesn't matter whether it's their 10th time in church or their 1,000th time in church. Everyone is equally loved and valued and received because Jesus speaks that value and love over each of us. The church is the most amazing community to be part of. Now that has implications for us and the way that we treat people, the way that we welcome people when they come to the church for the first time. A number of families in this, um, in this church family are receiving Ukrainian um, refugees over the coming weeks. Now our theology of baptism should have effects on the way that we welcome those people and love them as family and all of that kind of thing. And if that is you, I think I know everyone who is, but if you are, if, if you are um, taking Ukrainian refugees into your home and you haven't told me, please do, because we'd love to support you in the best way that we can. It affects the way that we um, love one another and serve, serve the city, all of these kinds of things. In other words, baptism is pretty amazing. So, to end... Let's stand together. And I'm going to ask you a question that Paul asks the church in Rome. Don't you know 
that all of us who were baptised into Jesus were baptised into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might have newness of life.